Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. All right, welcome back to the podcast, Control Alt Azure. I'm here again with Yusi. What's up? Life is good. I am back from Ignite. So traveling home from Ignite, I did uh, calculate the hours. For me, it was 18.5 hours door to door. So that's two flights, one from Orlando to Chicago, a bit of layover, and then from Chicago to Helsinki direct. And then it's only about 15 minutes from the airport to my home. So travel jet lag you're missing out on a lot of things you haven't done because you've been at, at, at the conference for a week and i was on a holiday the week before so i was kind of lagging behind two weeks on everything <laughs> in my life um, but i think I've, I've recovered quite well by now because there's there's a weekend in in between and if you're wise enough and you just don't take anything for the week and it helps a lot yeah so that's probably top of mind for me how about for you toby Right, so I'm, I'm quite the opposite. Uh, so while you went to Ignite, I stayed at home, but I still followed Ignite um, because Ignite, Ignite happened in the, in the spare time uh, of my time. So a lot during the weekends or um, evenings. So when the workday is ending, the Ignite online sessions were starting. So I don't feel the jet lag, but I, I did feel the exhaustion of, of trying to keep up with everything. And at some point I said, look, it's, I'm not going to be able to keep up with all of this. There's so many concurrent sessions going on. So I'll just wait a week pretty much until now and let it sit for a while and see, you know, what comes out of Ignite as the key takeaways. And I guess this is also why we're here. Uh, so you didn't purchase any sort of an, like an online remote viewing ticket or access. So were you able, able to then choose between how many sessions at a time to, to view remotely? I don't know the, the scope of how many sessions I could view there, but most of the things that I was interested in was available from the landing page of Ignite. And from there, you could just hit the play button and then you get a selection, which was new this year. So you could select what track or what keynote you want to watch and then what sessions that went on during the days. Uh, and now I also see a lot of that is on YouTube. So if you want to watch it on demand, you can just go to YouTube and, and check it out. So oh, cool. I, I have my smart TV with... Uh, my remote control, I just go and I, I already follow Azure and, and things um, on, on the YouTube channels. I go there, start my TV, and I can have this on in the background as I progress through my day to keep up with yeah, some of the key announcements. Oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. I will definitely think about that option next year. I, I love going there. Uh, I don't really love the travel but I'm okay with the travel. Perhaps next year, I'm already thinking that if I stay at home and just allocate enough time, how would it be different and would I miss out on much? But uh, I'm contemplating on that. I mean, I do miss, like we talked in a previous episode, I do miss a couple of things and that's the social interactions because I don't yep. really go to the conference for the sessions, but more the, the social and networking. So I do miss that. So in, in terms of content, it's easier for me to just listen to this now and I can bump the speed to 150% and just go through it. Other than that, uh, other things that I really like coming out recently is Microsoft Teams private channels. This is, I guess, in preview still uh, or being rolled out. Um, not sure exactly what the state is now, but I know people are looking for it. I need it. 
uh, it's great if you have a group of people in a team and you want to focus on something specific to collaborate on, but you don't want to create an entirely separate team which comes with additional resources. Yeah. Um, and if you want to like have a, a subset of people in a team uh, in a private channel to discuss sensitive information like NDA topics or specific contracts or budgets and things like that, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I think the chatter and, and kind of the hopes and fears on, on private channel channels has been going on for maybe about a year now. And a lot of people have been waiting it, waiting for the feature. And then I know a lot of people feel like, yeah, it's really needed. I can just spin up a new team, set that to more private. And, and I haven't really dived deep, deep into the technical implications on that, but my understanding more is on how do you govern that? How do you govern the additional site collections, it provisions, and how do you get visibility as an admin to see what's really happening with these private teams now? Yeah. So I, I really like this topic. And, and just like you say, what happens with governance? How do you keep your, your site collections or groups from exploding and just being created ad hoc? But that is a discussion for an entirely separate episode of this podcast because we can talk a, a lot about that. Yeah, I think we can invite like a special guest who knows everything about that behind the scenes and then we can ask pesky questions on it. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Uh, another thing for me, I realized when I, when I was flying back, because uh, when you have the long flight, it's about nine hours for me from Chicago to Helsinki, you have a lot of time to reflect. Nowadays, you, you have this internet uh, connectivity throughout the flight, which is great. But once you've done five hours of email, you want to do something else. So I started going through my wallet and I realized that uh, about three months ago, uh, I had this uh, soon to expire uh, fitness and, and, uh, and, and, and leisure vouchers that we have in Finland. So your employer can hand them off for you. You pay the tax value on those and then you get to use them for whatever you like. So they were about to expire for me. So I went to the movie theater and bought 40 movie tickets. <laughs> okay. It's, it's nice. not for the same movie though. So, so now so. you can go to the movies for like three years to come. Yes, but these movie tickets that I purchased, they expire 1st of January 2020. Okay, so now so okay, so now you have to see every movie in the theater by New Year's. Exactly. And <laughs> and the challenge of course is that I don't have that much spare time to just go to the movies every day. And at least in Helsinki we don't have movies running at uh, 8 in the morning, so they typically start start in noon. So I will for sure next week and I will for sure go to at least three movies just to see them and say, well, at least I was able to, able to use three tickets out of the 40 ones. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe, I don't know how the taxation works or if they're personal, but maybe you can give them away to someone. I uh, know they, they are stamped on my name. So I have to use uh, them course. personally. So I even can't have my family join me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice. Yes. Um, right, so another thing on, on the top of my mind that were just announced, I just saw it from Brendan Burns on Twitter is, Application Gateway Ingress Controller or AGIC for Kubernetes that makes it possible for AKS customers to now natively leverage App Gateway. So that's pretty cool. So you don't have to fiddle and trickle to get internet to work well through App Gateway now with AKS. That has now built-in support for, for this kind of um, Layer 7 or L7 load balancing. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. So I, I use application gateway on, on Azure natively, 
but I don't really work with Kubernetes at all. I, I do some work with containers, like individual containers, mm-hmm. but this seems like both an awfully specific scenario, but at the same time, something that everybody kind of would need. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how specific it is. Uh, I've, I've stood up quite a few AKS clusters and a lot of the time you need to, if you bring your websites in there, then you need to make them accessible to the internet and running them now through App Gateway and having that ingress controller built into your cluster running in, in its separate pod is, is actually quite nice. But I don't know the scope of how many people do that. Um, but I'm happy that it's there because it would help if I were going back to standing up more AKS clusters right now, then this would help me in that scenario at least. So that's pretty cool. Okay, cool. Um, for, um, for Ignite, let's continue a bit on that topic. Um, so there were a lot of, a lot of announcements uh, from Ignite and during Ignite. Something that somebody uh, said to me, they reached, reached out to me just after Ignite and said, they didn't attend at all, but they figured or, or they felt that all the announcements were pushed out on the first day. So that would be Monday on the week of Ignite. Right. And then nothing. And, and being there, I couldn't really share that idea because I was bombarded with announcements the whole week. But did, did you maybe experience it a bit the same, attending remotely? Yeah, so, so that's a good point. Um, and I've, I've reflected on this exactly that um, several times before, not just for Ignite, but other events where they release sessions remotely, but also blog posts. Because what you see is, if you subscribe to RSS feeds from Microsoft, you will see that at a specific time, you they unleash 200 blog posts. Yeah. Right? Um, or whatever amount. I didn't actually keep track of that, but I know it was a plethora of announcements coming out pretty much at the same time. Um, but some things were released as the event progressed. So the, the following days, some announcements were still made and there were still news to, to go, go grab. But I mean, if, if you only want the headlines, then you can just see what happens the first day and you can summarize those blog posts and you know what's going to be announced and what's the big things. But those usually don't contain all the nitty gritty details that you get you know, throughout the, the follow-up announcements during the week. So there will always be these big, you know, the launch day of the conference will always be with these huge announcements. But then the details of each and every one of those announcements usually comes throughout the week. Um, I didn't follow it as closely this year. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of had it on in the background and I, I followed more on Twitter than I actually did on the Microsoft websites. Um, so I kind of got the context of what was important throughout yep. the entire week because obviously people on Twitter don't stop talking about it after the first day. Quite the contrary. You have time to digest it overnight. And mm-hmm. you know the rest of the week was just a plethora of discussions around everything that happened. And that was really interesting. I think a lot of people are still kind of hoping that these large conferences, they would have these hero announcements like back Back in 2016, 2017, built, we got Cosmos DB. Right. And that was the main release, the main product. And, and everybody kept talking about Cosmos DB for the next two months. And now for Ignite, we got some big announcements for sure. But at the same time, they might be a bit niche or something that's coming soon or will be available before summer. So this is kind of like a 
like a sneak preview on, on, on what we're thinking on. Yeah. So, so for that reason, I felt that a lot of the announcements were uh, slightly small or there, there's a new button here or this is finally fixed. And, and not everything is available right now. It, it might be available by April or it was already available in June, June or July, but now it's kind of polished and it's more integrated. Yeah. So, so Ignite is great that, that it um, brings everything together for, for, for the rest of the year. But at the same time, you really need to pay attention to understand what was released and, and what was already there and what's relevant. Yeah. Um, so my, my take on that is I've, I've reflected also on, on, on this a little bit. And when Microsoft a few years back brought more transparency into everything they're doing, I think this might be an effect of that. So already before Ignite, you know certain things will be talked about as a big thing, but they might have been in preview for a while. Uh, whereas other announcements, like you say, could be smaller ones that are launching in preview, being rolled out soon or in the coming fiscal year or things like that, that might not be available right now. But I think this is also one step in their direction of bringing transparency into it so they can collect feedback and thoughts from customers and consumers already now, even though the product or service that they're building might not be entirely finished. Um, so from that angle, I actually like this um, because it, it gives you as a customer also an option to say, okay, this sounds interesting. Here's what I would need in terms of that. And you can reach out to the right groups and user voices and, and people to talk about that. Exactly. So for Ignite announcements, what was or what were the most memorable, most exciting announcements that, that you gathered through the whole week? So how much time do you have? <laughs> I, I think I've got the rest of the week, so just shoot. All right, so let me shoot. Now, so, I mean, to, to try and make that short, there's, when you say it like that, there's three things on top of my mind, and mm -hmm. that's Synapse and Project Cortex and Spotify's way of democratization of AI. Um, so taking the last one there first, Spotify, and they had a showcase of how Spotify can help or how Spotify uses AI to help them edit podcasts. And I think that's relevant for me and for you because we mm -hmm. edit podcasts now. And what they do is using AI, they distinguish the audio of a podcast and separate this into text, right? Accurately separate this into text. And then you can edit the text. You yeah. can move snippets of text, add snippets of text, remove them, you know, move things around so if you had a dialogue, but you wanted that dialogue to happen sooner or later in the podcast, you can move the text and then it re-renders or recreates the audio based on what you did in a text, right? Wow. So you don't have to re-record or have this huge experience with audio editing or podcast editing as such, but the way, at least the way they, they um, depicted that and how they announced it was you just edit, you just, and that's, quotation marks, you just edit the text and then the, the machines or the AI will do the rest for you to produce your audio tracks. And presumably this would then uh, be powered by Azure AI because if it was mentioned at Ignite. Yeah, that's, that's what I took away from it, yep. All right. I don't, I don't know what parts, if it's the like parts cognitive, parts custom machine learning or how they did that. I didn't drill into the details, I just was, I was wowed by the fact that this idea even existed because I never thought about that. 
I mean, this is, it's an awesome idea because I know the, um, the hurdle of trying to go into your podcast and remove things or add things or now imagine like in this podcast, we don't do editing of, um, and, ah, and all these kind of filler noises and filler sounds. And I, yeah. I know I do them a lot with this approach. You could, right. You could just remove them in text and that's it. You don't need to go in and do audio editing as such. Indeed. Any, any word on when this is available or we can try it already? I have no idea. And I have no idea if it's available to the consumers or if this is an internal Spotify thing or I don't know. So I, I just saw the announcement and I was wowed. So if you, I will put the link in the show notes so everyone can yeah. go check that out. Cool. But that is democratizing AI, bringing AI to everyone. So you don't need to be the data scientist expert in order to do things now. I mean, bringing this from Spotify, if they bring this to everyone, they have indeed democratized AI as such. Indeed, indeed. And the other one you mentioned was Project Cortex. Yeah. So Cortex is touching a bit on uh, metadata and content and knowledge and things that coming from where I come from and also where you come from in terms of your career, we worked a lot with SharePoint. And in yeah. SharePoint, we had a lot of documents and data and collaboration and things like that. So with Project Cortex, my takeaway is that it's kind of an advanced AI that delivers insights and expertise in the apps you use every day. And that's Outlook, Word, SharePoint, things like that, Microsoft Teams. Uh, so you can kind of harness the collective knowledge and empower people and teams to learn, upskill and innovate faster. And the AI capabilities as such uh, contains and includes things like image and text recognition. So you can identify objects directly in scanned and uploaded images. That's pretty much built in. Forms processing to detect important information in forums. You can extract metadata automatically from those forms. And you have machine teaching. And this is what really piqued my interest. So with Lewis or language understanding, uh, you can train the AI to recognize information in unstructured documents like contracts, proposals, or other types. Um, and similar to teaching a friend or a colleague, you can now teach the machine as such, and then you can reuse that. So you can re-implement um, whatever you teach the, the machine to find and, and um, analyze. And that's pretty cool. Uh, I sat through one, one discussion on, on Project Cortex during Ignite and and somebody casually mentioned that you could kind of think parts of Cortex to be dynamic Wikipedia pages that are powered by AI. And, and yeah. to me, it really resonated well because so much time and effort and resources and, and blood and sweat and tears have been spent on how do we create metadata? How do we do SharePoint content types? How do we put these columns visible? Should we sort them automatically? Is this connected to something which SharePoint used to have? I think it still has the managed metadata kind of kind of concept. So Cortex to me seems like, like this topmost layer that, that automatically using AI tries to learn what sort of content you have and then starts building these info cards around it, that this is a sales document, this is an offer document, perhaps this is related to the pricing document and perhaps prices mm -hmm. are this. Yeah, and, and exactly that, what you mentioned. And there's something called topic cards and, and these appear automatically when the Project Cortex um, detects a topic, 
and then it shows description, any experts that are involved or, or personnel in your organization, resources and other information that this AI engine then has detected relating to that topic. And these appear automatically in Outlook, Word, SharePoint, Microsoft Teams, I think, and also Microsoft Search. So like across these collaboration tools, this will automatically be analyzed. So whatever tool you use, you will get these topic cards saying that in the midst of your document, you can select something and you can say, oh, this was discovered as a topic. You can see that, you click it, it's gonna show you a topic card with involved experts who know something about that, uh, resources, additional documents, and additional data and information around that. So it's automatically finding this stuff. And you so, also, you touched a little bit on managed metadata service as well. And my understanding is that they've updated and extended that to support tagging across all of Microsoft 365, not just SharePoint as such. All right, that, that kind of brings it all together. And, and we got, I, I can't recall when, but that was already in SharePoint Online in the cloud. We did get Delve back in the day. Yeah. And that kind of built these dynamic cards for you that who's editing what and, and who's viewing what. It was fun at the time, but after two months of, of just looking at the same page with a couple of documents updating, you, you started thinking, is there nothing else to it? And I figure Delve is still there and Cortex is not replacing it. That's my understanding. But Delve is a sort of version one and, and Cortex is, is the version two or version nine with the added capabilities that AI is bringing. Yeah. And I, I also used um, with is a past tense. Uh, I used Delve a lot at some point, but I figured with alerts in the document libraries and OneDrive libraries that I need, I get the information I need just as well from Delve. But now seeing this and seeing the announcement around Cortex and how you can now visualize things and using, for example, a topic page, you can see the results and information of Project Cortex so you can explore that data in depth. And I really hope that this goes way beyond what you just mentioned with Delve because you have a lot more empowered and enriched data across all your 365. Um, so now you can collaborate with the AI on building these pages to improve, um, improve those pages with expert knowledge. So the key term here, I don't know if this is what they used or if I just made that up, but collaborate with the AI is pretty much what I mentioned before, like machine teaching, and you can help the AI understand what's important but you and I can also collaborate on the same topic page to drill down what's important for this topic and the AI will then add whatever it can discover and find and learn as well as us collaborating on it. So we can now collaborate together and collaborate with the AI uh, on those topic pages and then drill down into all the nitty gritty details. Yeah, there was no word yet on pricing on that. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how it will be priced. Will it be part of E3 licensing? Will it require E5? Perhaps it will be an add-on on top of something. Uh, so I'm kind of leaning on the My Analytics that used to be an add-on if you only had E3. So I'm kind of leaning that Cortex might perhaps have some something similar in, in, in hopes for, for organizations to start using it in the future. Yeah, I don't have more insights either on, on pricing. One final thing that I want to mention with Project Cortex, because this came up on Twitter in a couple of threads and also in, in a couple of networks that I'm part of. 
with all this AI and all this uh, cross your entire Microsoft 365 and having this AI engine analyzing all the content, all the emails or all the documents or whatever data it, it now looks into, what about security and compliance, right? And, and with Project Cortex, I, I took this information from the FAQ section and drilled down into that a bit and, and security and compliance uh, of content is enforced across Micro 365. So access to uh, the data, retention labels, data sovereignty, where data is located and, and where the data goes, and any information barriers, they are all maintained consistently before and after you activate Cortex. So you can also enforce more restrictions on top of that if you want uh, on the scope of uh, and availability of topic information shared by Cortex. So you can, if you have this concern that, okay, now we're enabling this huge machine to do machine learning and AI to discover things and analyze things, but where do, does my data end up? Where does the data go? You have this with security and compliance for 365. So, so they did think about that. So that's pretty cool. For sure. And the last one was Synapse. Synapse, yeah. Um, so I'll bring that to a, a short takeaway. And Azure Synapse is kind of the next evolution of Azure SQL Data Warehouse. And it reads and analyzes structured and unstructured data. Because previously you had like big data, maybe unstructured data, and you had data warehousing and very structured data. What you do now with Synapse is kind of bringing data warehousing plus big data uh, together. And that's structured and unstructured data put in the same bucket. So in the past with SQL Data Warehouse, um, they now made this kind of evolution of that. So not, now you have the Azure Synapse as it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and they call it limitless analytics that brings together enterprise data warehousing and big data analytics. So you can query your own data at scales at your own terms. Um, you get this unified kind of experience for uh, data ingestion, preparation, management, and serving the data. And what I really like about this and why I wanted to bring this up is uh, it ranges from like data scientists, because when I say Azure SQL Data Warehouse, you will think of someone who understands data and who can you know, put this structured data in, into a specific format. But now with Synapse, it kind of opens the audience a bit and ranges from data scientists with machine learning to the business user using Power BI. So you can actually uh, look into all this data using Power BI and some complex queries and it's pretty, pretty quick. Um, they showed the unified service with end-to-end -end scenarios. We had a nine second analysis query execution time of petabytes of data. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and in the announcement, they said we're 75 times faster than Google queries in, in their, you know, comparable products, whatever. I don't really like those comparisons. What I really like is this is how performant it is. We can query this data in nine seconds and it's petabytes of data. This is pretty cool. Exactly. Because whenever you kind of cherry pick one query in your own optimized platform, I think it's fairly easy to say we're 75 times faster on this particular scenario. Yeah. And then somebody else will come back and say, yeah, but on AWS, we can do this or on Google, we can do this. And it's not as if you can just choose that I need to do analytics. So should today should we use AWS or Google or Azure? You're often locked in, you're often have this know-how on these specific tools. So changing from one to another 
is not the same as, as, as changing your platform for hosting your virtual machines. Yeah, exactly. All right. I, I think that was on, on top of my mind um, regarding those announcements. I really encourage you to check them out if you haven't. And all the links to these things will obviously be in the show notes as well. So what about you? What's your key takeaway? Uh, a couple of a couple of ones. Um, one was the, the free uh, app service TLS search. So that is something I've been waiting for quite some time. People have been asking Microsoft that could we have a Let's Encrypt support for app service. So Azure Functions, web apps, whenever I need to secure that the host, instead of going to this, this uh, super expensive uh, certificate uh, vendor and purchasing one and figuring out that the requests and the conversions then private keys and public keys and all that. There's finally a button now in app service and, and that became available last week. There's finally a button now that I can click and say, please secure this app service. And, and that's it. And it, it gets the, uh, the certificate from uh, Digi search which mm -hmm. I think is fairly reputable, so we can trust them. The only downside is that it doesn't support naked domains. So okay. if, if your domain is controlaltazure.com, you cannot get the search for that, but you can wow. get it for www.controlaltazure. Is that a technical limitation or a pricing limitation, or why is it like that? I have no idea. I probably need to reach out to Microsoft and ask that, could you please enable this too? Because more and more businesses, they just want to get rid of the www in yep. front of it because it, it, it seems redundant nowadays. Yep. I, I think it's, it's there for a reason. They want to test how this works out. And perhaps it's also a pricing approach that you need to pay money and then you do it the old fashioned way. Or if you want the free one, it only works for this specific use case. All right. So for now it's great, but it will be greater when it actually works for all of your domains, not just yeah. the ones that are not naked. So even though it's only for, for subdomains, then is it in preview or can I like start use a lot, utilizing this now in production workloads? Uh, you can start utilizing it now in production workloads because in, in essence, the TLS support has been in, in, in production for ages now. And this is just a small automation in the backend. All right, cool. Uh, the second one is, I think I mentioned this briefly um, on the last episode, that MFA multi-factor authentication and passwordless, they are now free. They used to require Azure AD premium P1 license. So there's, there's, in essence, there's three licenses. There's a free one, there's a premium P1 and premium P2. So you would require P1 license for all of your users to use MFA, and typically you would use this for you perhaps with conditional access. All guest users accessing our services are enforced to use MFA. That would be one use case. Mm -hmm. So this is now free as well as passwordless. So I don't have to type in my password anymore. I can use the Microsoft Authenticator on my mobile device. This is a great change. And I think Microsoft realized that if we set this to free, this small capability, it will bring more in terms of security for the platform than, than what we would gain in revenue, just asking money for this, this capability. Yeah, and it, it's a hot topic now these days to inherently make everything secure. You have to, whatever you do, you have to think first about security and then about everything else. So this makes sense in that step as well. Yeah, and the last one, it's a bit more exotic, but, but I think it's 
something we've needed, not everybody, but certain, certain ISVs and vendors for sure. It's called the entitlement management. And, and what it allows, it's part of Azure AD. There's a new button called Identity Governance in Azure Portal. And when you click that, it allows you to create access packages. So you can create a package. There's, there's this graphical wizard that allows you to create a package. So if my company wants to expose, let's say, a couple of SharePoint Online sites and perhaps some custom SaaS applications that we've created to a partner organization, instead of inviting them manually, the users to this SharePoint site and to, to this application, I can create the access package, list all the resources I want to grant access on, list the, um, the security groups, and those can be dynamic as well, so I can allocate licenses automatically. And then I can push those out and, and give you a link. Please click on this link, log in with whatever credentials you already have, and, and your, your uh, portal will light up with the custom access you have now. Right, so, so, you, so you can kind of request access to what you need right now based on organizational policies or definitions. And whenever this team kind of dissolves, you can then just remove the entitlement and everything yes. goes away. Yes, and you can even include internal and external sponsors. You can have access reviews as part of it. It seems surprisingly uh, well thought out. And this was actually in preview before Ignite and, and it, it became GA during Ignite, but I missed the whole capability before Ignite. And now when it's production ready, I realized, oh, this is something I've needed. Yeah. Uh, but one small downside, licensing. It does require Azure AD P2 license. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we, we, we just need a little bit more money on this. Uh, and, and how that's going to work out is that if you have guest users, it will follow the traditional Azure ADB to be guest licensing uh, policy, which means it's one to five ratio in mapping those licenses. So let's imagine you have 10 employees, you purchase 10 Azure ADP to licenses. Mm -hmm. Now you can have five times 10, so 50 guest users benefiting from those licenses. Okay, right. So that, I guess that's, good from that sense, but it, it does require you to think twice. If you want entitlement management, you have a huge organization where you want to make use of it, you might need to bring in the calculator. Yeah, you might need, in, need to bring in the calculator as well as CFO to actually hand you over the money for the licenses. All right, the bag of money might be needed too, yeah, not just the calculator, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I think it's, it's always interesting that when you talk with smaller organizations or, or organizations with less users, they worry about the license costs. Then you talk with enterprises and they worry about the license costs because they often feel that, well, we have 27,000 users, so do we have to get 27,000 P2 licenses? The smaller organizations have 50 users and they don't want to buy 50 times P2, but anything in between, it, it's often that we'll get what we need for those users who need it. Yeah, all right. So those three, MFA and passwordless entitlement management and, and the app service TLS cert, those three are were probably top of mind for me from all of the Ignite announcements. Yeah. I also saw that you did like a book signing, didn't you? Oh yeah. This so what, was, what's that about? This was the second book signing for me uh, this year. 
Uh, I can't say it's, it's the second in my life. It was the third in my life, though. Uh, so I did uh, a book on Azure, a kind of non-technical book for people needing to understand what's this Azure thing. I did that in May this year. And we had a book signing uh, for that at the ECH European Collaboration Summit. And, and it was sponsored and produced by Sharegate, mm-hmm. the, the nice Canadian folk. And, and it went so well, and we had so much fun, we figured, let's do volume two uh, with a bit more, more uh, idea on, on what the topics would be, not just generally Azure. So we picked governance. And, and I, I did the book or the text for the book. I did that during the summer, and, and I finalized that mid-September. And, and the people at Chergate, they went through that, and they produced this really nice-looking book. So it's, it's available both print and, and digital. It's free. So we had 500 copies at Ignite, and we did the book signing. And this is probably the only time of the year that I actually get to write something by hand nowadays, besides signing into a customer. Sometimes they want you to sign in uh, by hand with your name and, and who's your yeah. host going to be. But now when people line up and they say, hey, you see, uh, I'd like to get, a, get the book with, with your signature, you cannot just put your name in there. You actually have to have this kind of a proverb or a quote or something that makes it a bit more personal. So yeah. I, I think I did about 350 of those during one afternoon. With unique quotes to everyone? Uh, I'd, I'd like to claim yes, but I think I had like this... <laughs> five different quotes and I just Where, randomly... Where's the reusable template for that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should have like this stamp that I could just stamp on the book and then sign my name on Exactly. It, it looks like you did it all yourself. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and people would be really offended or not offended, but they would, they would look disappointed if I, if I uh, wrote the quote before they, they lined up. So I would just get a book with the quote already, and here you go. No, no, I need to see you actually write it. Right. Like, okay, sure. So I, I discarded yeah. that approach and actually did that while they were waiting. So it was just in time book signing. Yep. All right. Fair enough. So that was fun, and the book is available now. Uh, let's put the put the link on the show notes. Yeah. Uh, another thing. Uh, this this is fun fun and short story. Uh, Azure Security Center, I've been using that quite heavily recently, uh, especially with, with a couple of my customers. And, and one of those environments, we needed to figure out how to best do remote access for virtual machines for a few select developers. And, and I think last year I did this super lengthy blog article on all the different possibilities. Uh, can you use Windows Admin Center? Can you do this? Can you do that? But I figured, let's have a look at, at ASC, Azure Security Center. There's a functionality called Just-in-Time VM Access. So I enabled that for a couple of VMs, and it works really well. So when you want to have RDP or SSH access to a VM, you open Azure Portal, you go to the VM, and you say connect, and, and it actually asks you, so how would you like to connect? Would you like to connect, connect from your IP only? from your uh, IP address block or, or from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And based on that selection, it dynamically adds a new rule, uh, uh, a new ACL on the, on the, on the VNet, and, and then it removes that rule when a certain time has passed, passed uh, like eight hours later, the rule is gone and the access is gone. Yeah. So on paper, it works well, but I found a bug in it. Uh-oh. Yes. 
And I, I emailed Microsoft, uh, the people I, I figured would be interested in this, but this was before Ignite, so obviously nobody's reading emails. I go to the expo, there's this person uh, who seems to know everything about ASC. I have a bit of a chat and say, yeah, I think there's a bug on this one. They're like, no, it's not possible, you've, you're mistaken. And they had ASC <laughs> configured. And I'm like, well, well, let me show you. And, and I ask, can you click on connect and click this, this, and this? And there it goes, the same error is displayed. And they're like- So you show them on their own setup yeah. about the bug, that's nice. Yeah, and they're, they're looking at, no, no, it shouldn't be like this. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. it shouldn't be like <laughs> it's this. Like, I know, that's <laughs> why we call it a bug. <laughs> yeah, and, and this kind of core functionality with terms to just-in-time and security, so I think it doesn't really work out. So, so they go back and forth for a couple of minutes, then they hand me over their card. Can you please email your details and, and, and we'll get this sorted out. So hopefully that will be sorted out in the future and we actually get to use the JIT functionality more properly in the future. So I guess from the top of my mind, I have gone through pretty much everything. Do you have something left on your mind? Um, perhaps just a quick note on, um, now if you go to ignite.microsoft.com, you can do the pre-registration for 2020. Uh, I think they didn't announce the dates yet though. So I would estimate it's around the next, uh, around the same time next year. Uh, so, so, mid-November perhaps or early November. So if you do pre-registration, what it, what it gains you is that you have the ability to purchase a ticket because it was sold out this year and the wait list was massive. So yeah, if you're a super early bird, then already now you can sign up for that. Yeah. All right. So one last thing, I've been studying Swedish at school or Let's put it more politely. I was forced to study Swedish at school. And I think I spent 11, maybe 12 years studying it. So wow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still really so bad. We could, we could do this podcast in Swedish. Really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would I, be I don't think I would be capable of, of doing that in, in Finnish, but definitely Swedish. Yeah, it would be super short, though. And, and it would mostly <laughs> be me, me saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that okay. that yeah. would be. But I, I need to learn a bit more Swedish. Uh, perhaps next time I, I visit Sweden, I'm fluent by then, depending how many podcasts we'll, we'll, we'll do in the, in the next couple of years. So, so teach me a word that I can, I can confidently use. And, and whenever I use it, people go like, oh, you're a real Swede. All right. So, okay, good. So let's do a... Swedish word of the day, I would say is skottkära. Or if you're from the northern parts of Sweden, it's skottkära. So with more rolling R's. And that means wheelbarrow. Perhaps you'll need it someday. Oh yeah, so that's really for manual labor then. Uh, uh, what, so what about a Finnish one? Because I mean, Finland is close to Sweden. If I ever go there and I need to survive, what, what is a good word for me to know? Let, let me try the Swedish word first. Uh, Skotchera. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind it's, of. It's, no, actually, it's, it's pretty good, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, now I know it's Skotchera. Yeah. yeah. And that's good. actually, you're using my pronunciation where I live in down yeah. south of Sweden, which is really nice. Because otherwise, with the rolling R's, um, it would be like a Stockholm imitator. But now you're uh, more like Skåne, where I live. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, uh, the, the Finnish word of the day, and, and I know people in Sweden, you study way less Finnish than what we study Swedish here in Finland. 
So, so the Finnish word of the day, it is a bit specific, but I really like it because it's, it's a rather new word that we have. And new words? Yeah, people okay. come up with these new words and, and it kind of combines something we already know, but there's a new meaning or it's something okay. that we figured out, oh, this sounds cool. So the, the Finnish word of the day is käristyskupoli. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and, and what it means is that it's uh, the literal translation is fry dome for a weather, meaning that when it's super hot, let's say it's going to be really hot in, 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 uh, in southern Finland, but it's suspiciously cold in Lapland, although those people always deserve it to be cold, or it's super cold in Sweden as well. But for some reason, southern Finland is, is, is hot. And by hot, I mean pleasant for us and, and, and cold for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so when somehow the weather is extraordinarily hot, but everywhere, everywhere else it's colder. So the world is, uh, word is keristyskupoli. Keristyskupoli. Yeah, almost flat. Right. So how yes. hard can it be? So I can oh. practically move to Finland now then. Yeah, yeah. You, and you I, got... if, if something is not good, I will just go keristyskupoli. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so you're one of the locals now. I think we're done for today, huh? Yep. Until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.